This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 19, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. You may be surprised to learn that Title IX isn't about college sports. It's about gender equity in higher education. But there's not much evidence that it does much to solve the problems it was created to address. The law is 40 years old this week. Cato Institute's Neil McCluskey evaluates its job performance. What problem was Title IX meant to solve? Title IX was ostensibly supposed to address the problem of gender discrimination in federally funded education programs. So what that means in practice is really almost any college or university, any college or university that takes students who have federal student aid, that means student loans, grants, anything like that, they are subject to Title IX. And then all high schools, all middle schools, all grade schools, anybody like that is subject to Title IX as well. And ultimately, the goal broadly is gender equity. Of course, the difficulty is, well, what exactly does that mean? How do you define it? How do you enforce it? How has it been defined and enforced in the United States? Well, so one of the strange things about Title IX is even though the law was never supposed to be um, focused on sports, Uh, and in particular college sports, that has become almost the exclusive focus of Title IX and Title IX enforcement. And the question is why? Now, I don't know that that's a question we have a definitive answer for, but what seems to be the case is that sports is something where you can easily put numbers on on people who, who participate. So you can say, well, X percent of men at colleges participate in sports, Uh, X percent of women participate in sports, and you say, well, is that disproportionate to the percentage of the total student body that's made of men and women? And so basically what it's come down to is constant, really, regulatory threats and litigation over do colleges and universities have as many women or as big a percentage of their women in intercollegiate sports, is that percentage the same as women's? enrollment in those colleges. And it's all about sports, and that's led to lots of debates about whether colleges now cut men's programs in order to get proportionality and things like that. But that wasn't the intent of the law. That's just what's happened. And it seems to be because it's the easiest place where you can just count up numbers, say whether or not you have proportionality, and it doesn't involve something that really is going to dictate somebody's future for the rest of their life. It's not the same to say you can't participate in rowing as to say you can't be a chemistry major or something like that. So it's focused mostly on what I think are, can be easily argued, are less consequential aspects of the academic experience, which is whether or not you participate in athletics. Yeah, pretty much. Whatever you can easily put a number on and the consequences really aren't all that great for anybody, no matter what happens to them. Now, probably another part of this is major proponents of Title IX, especially today, are women who are really interested in sports. But it seems to be most likely that that this infatuation with sports with Title IX is because easy to put numbers on it, and the consequences really aren't that great for anybody. If the aim is to get some sort of proportional representation in athletic programs, in academic programs, there are some programs where women just don't tend to go. We're starting to see a move away from a complete focus on sports, especially now into science, technology, engineering, mathematics, the so-called STEM fields, where just broadly public policy, politicians like to focus because there's this assumption that America has to have more scientists and engineers if we're going to compete with the rest of the world. And so there's sort of beginning to have a focus on, well, 
we don't see women represented nearly in the numbers or the percentage that they represent of all students in science and in particular fields like physics and engineering, chemistry and things like that. So there's be, beginning to be this move to say, well, we can't really demand proportionality necessarily, but let's start to to try and come up with an explanation of why women are underrepresented, and then begin to, to coerce uh, schools, especially colleges, into having programs that try to nudge or at least give women a leg up in, in especially faculty hiring. And, and then that leaves uh, the big question of, well, Title IX is supposed to pre- prevent discrimination. So here's the root question. Is underrepresentation a result of overt Discrimination, unconscious discrimination, or decisions made by women uncoerced? When you really start to now look at the question of what is the evidence of discrimination against women beyond just the numbers? So it's easy to see the numbers and just say, well, we know there are about 57% of people in college are women, but in some fields they make up only 10% of the students enrolled or the professoriate. And just to say, based on that, well, there's clearly discrimination. You, you'll, you'll see sometimes even delving a little deeper than that, saying, well, we also see that their compensation isn't the same, that there is sometimes appears to be a penalty if you are raising children. Although, of course, the question is, if you're not working because you're raising children, is there some obligation for your university to continue to pay you as if you're there? But that tries to get deeper at the question, but never have I seen, and there doesn't really appear to be, research that shows clearly once we've controlled for every factor that might dictate where you're hired, what you do, how much you get paid, is there clear, even close to clear evidence that there is overt discrimination? Then you delve a little deeper, and and this seems to be the main argument once we've gotten past all that is, well, there's discrimination that's hard to find, especially in any given situation, but we, we think, or at least Title IX supporters think, it's this sort of unconscious discrimination. And they base it on really some very preliminary research, which they'll often tell you is, is, is uh, tremendous research and, and really reveals a lot. But it's based on something called stereotype threat and something called implicit association tests. Now, stereotype threat basically involves you send women and men into a room to take a test and you announce to one group, women do worse on this test. And then to the other group, you don't say anything. And then when you find that women in the group where you've said they do worse, do worse than the men, and the women in the group where you haven't told them that, then you say, clearly, there's a stereotype threat where you do worse if you think you're supposed to do worse. Now, they don't ever apply this to men to see how that works. And it, of course, doesn't mimic the real world. Rarely do you go to take the SAT, and at the beginning of the SAT, the proctor announces, by the way, women do terribly on the SAT. Go ahead and take your test. So that is dubious. And then implicit association tests are where words will start to pop up on a computer screen, and you're supposed to associate them with different things as fast as you can. So not only that, but they'll start switching the categories, and the end category is usually they've switched men to the right and women to the left, and then they start putting up science and math terms and things like that. And if you get the wrong association in a millisecond, you do it a few times, it tells you you're sexist. It's also used for race and things like that. And that doesn't mimic the real world at all either. Nobody has someone come in for a job interview and say, woman, you're out. 
man, you're in. They give a lot more thought to that. So there really is no meaningful scientific basis for finding broad discrimination leading to these disproportionate numbers we see. And that's the root problem with Title IX. There is no evidence of a broad problem, at least no convincing evidence. Neil McCluskey is Associate Director for the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom and author of Feds in the Classroom. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.